Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. Y'all know what? Listen. That's right, y'all. It's the Labors of Love podcast anniversary. (laughs) Two years, right? Ah, in some ways, it it feels like it's been a lifetime. Um, and in some other ways, I'm like, what? How could it have been two years? And I've lived in that um, very weird time frame for most of my life where things seem like they've happened very quickly, but also seem like they've taken their time going by. And so in part today, I just want to celebrate two years. Um, And I'm celebrating that essentially because two years is a considerable amount of time to keep pressing on. Um, Statistically, uh, a lot of podcasts don't last this long. Um, Actually, I heard that the average podcast lasts about six episodes. Um, Y'all, this is episode 90 90 episodes. And that does not even include um, some of the bonus things that we've dropped. That does not include any of our best of season ones or our throwbacks. It does not include any of our Therapy Thursdays. And so I'm proud um, that we have persisted. And I say that because um, the numbers themselves have not always (laughs) particularly supported the fact that I should keep going. Um, And numbers meaning uh, listens or how many people are engaging or interacting with the content. But I've shared this numerous times. Anytime I would get discouraged, somewhere, someone would reach out and thank me for something they heard on the podcast or some content. And it would always give me enough gas in my tank to just keep going because, you know, it really comes back down to like, why am I doing this? And I never intended this podcast or any of my work really to be some vehicle to fame. No, I have a deep rooted, genuine desire to help folks. And I have identified that one way that I can help is by genuinely and transparently telling my story and sharing my journey. And so, man, I'm so excited. Now, here's the other beautiful thing about two-year anniversary. Like, it's all coming together, right? So this is the 90th episode, which is this nice round number. And, y'all, we just hit 30,000 
streams, I guess we'll call it, 30,000. Like, <laughs> when I think about that, there is a part of me, This there is a little that I have. She's my adolescent, one of my adolescents. And um, I'm nurturing her through it, but she still has this thing where no matter what we do, she doesn't feel like it's enough. Um, and it's, it's very comparative. She's, so she'll look and she'll go, well, and it's so funny because she'll always compare us to people who, um, like really we shouldn't be compared to. So one of her favorite go-tos is, well, I bet Brene Brown gets that many listens in a month. Well, you know what? Brene Brown has a very different platform and that's okay. Right. And so I have to gently come back and nurture her into realizing that we are good. We don't have to compare. And she, that part of me really is healing because I used to move in space of comparison daily. That's not an exaggeration. Multiple times a day, there would be times when I would be comparing myself to something, someone daily, multiple times a day. And what I have started to recognize is it's not happening nearly as much. Like I can probably go days without moving in that space of comparison. And so I think a lesson in that is we have to be present to realize our healing. Sometimes we are, I want to heal. I want to heal. I want to do the work. I want to build resilience. We want to do all these things, but we are not even slowing down long enough to be present to the fact that the healing is actually taking place and noticing it and having gratitude for it. So 30,000 plays. What always strikes me about that is, and I say to myself, this is not like a radio station where you accidentally leave it on while you are pumping gas or you happen to be scanning stations and then get distracted and leave it on. Like in order to go to a podcast, it's pretty intentional. And the fact that 30,000 different times people have wanted to hear what I have to say, hear my guests want to share in people's labors of love. It's so humbling. It's so exciting. Um, I'm, I'm, I am super gassed <laughs> about, um, about this milestone. It is a fantastic milestone. Um, I want to thank each and every guest that I have had on that helped the Labors of Love podcast be what it is. I've had some phenomenal people on here, you all. I mean, some of them are my close, dear friends, and I've gotten to share them with you. Some were complete strangers, and we got to know them together. Some were strangers when they were on the podcast, and we've developed long-standing relationships. And so I'm excited. And But most importantly, I'm so thankful for you, the listeners, who are you know, tuning in to hear different things. I've been getting a lot of feedback. Um, there has been a spike in the last several weeks of people who are engaging with the podcast. And we know that one because, well, it, it, analytics, right? It tells us how many listens and things like that. So that number has clearly gone up. But even if I didn't have that as a frame of reference, I have been getting a lot of just more verbal feedback <clears throat> of people saying like, hey, I'm following the podcast. Hey, that was a really good episode. Hey, I really like that point. And I just want to reiterate, I'm pretty sure I said this at the year mark. <laughs> I'm going to say it at the two year mark. Please don't stop. The feedback is very important. And I don't just mean this for me. I mean it for me. But I also want to encourage you, if you follow someone's content, if you, whether it's their 
you know, like podcast kind of thing, or whether you've just followed their social media pages, sometimes just that encouragement is super helpful. And, you know, don't necessarily do it in the vein of, I'm doing this because sometimes it gets lost, right? So they might not reply back right away or get might, might get lost in the shuffle. But I just want people to know that, at least for me and other content creators that I know, it matters. That feedback is very helpful. And you never know when your timely social media reach out or email um, might be just the thing they need to hear to keep it going because it can get discouraging. Um, another thing I want to put out there, though, is um, I don't make money off of this podcast, but I can make money off of this podcast. So if you want to contribute to my capacity to um, continue to create content, you can like, what is it called? Sponsor, donate something. You can do it through Anchor, (laughs) which is the platform that um, this podcast originates. Like I don't have a Patreon. I thought about it and I'm still thinking about what it might be to use that as a source to help me create content in ways that um, can be more accessible for people. And, and through that system, like you get tiered levels of access to certain things. Um, so if you have suggestions for what cool um, levels of things for a Patreon, please let me know. But you can also donate. I did have one listener for a good period of time um, give to the podcast monthly. Um, some people, um, have thanked me for my contributions and my content by, um, paying me through PayPal or Venmo and things like that. So that is an option. Um, but I just want to throw that out there. Also, y'all know people who, uh, want to sponsor this podcast via, um, like ads and commercials. Holler at me. I got a bunch of people listening. You want to get your stuff out there or you know someone who it makes sense that I could help promote something. Obviously, I would want to learn about what I'm promoting and truly believe in it. Um, But I just want to put that out there because there are people who, you know, get paid to do their podcast because they're putting good stuff out there and that allows them to create more content. So I was just throwing that out there. Um, But I just wanted to start off this podcast with just like a hip hip hooray. Like, um, I'm so thankful for Jay Sugg from Instant Classic Media Um, for his diligent work and efforts in producing my podcast. Um, The thing I love about it now is that this is all I do. I sit down in the studio, I record, I get my butt up and I go about life. Everything that happens before and after I do this part, I don't have anything to do with. And that is so refreshing. If I have not shared already, one of my goals is to live a logistic free life. Like there are just a number of decisions that I make on a daily basis that I don't want to have to make. Like, what am I going to eat? Right? I mean, there are foods I like. There are foods I don't. I I think it's ridiculous that I have to pick what those things are going to be multiple times a day. Um, <laughs> just being honest. But what am I going to wear? Hey, I want to decide what clothes go in the closet. But really, every day I have to pick what I'm going to wear. It just feels overwhelming sometimes. So... This really does aid to me being able to lean into the work because I know the business of the podcast being edited and things put together and it being distributed. I don't have to do any of that. And so that feels really good. So thank you, Jay. Um, He also happens to be my husband in case you're a newer listener. Um, And it, it is amazing to have someone support you professionally who so intimately knows you personally. 
So yeah, good stuff. So today I just wanted to muse a little bit um, about a few things that have been going on with me. Um, I have been doing a lot of creating. So painting, I've been doing some writing. And uh, I shared right around the end of the year or beginning of the year, somewhere around the new year, that those were two of the options I give myself for a daily discharge. And I can feel my growth as a person, like my personal growth, through the processes of writing or creating and painting especially. I've gotten to the point now where I'm no longer using like reference pictures. I've moved out of the stage where for me, it's like, I need to imitate or recreate this thing. And I'm genuinely trusting what's in me to come out of me. Uh, For several iterations of creation, that has been um, painting the human face, which is interesting and hard. It's hard. Um, Shading and things like that with paint is so different than it is with like pencil. But what I'm also not doing is I'm not going like, oh, let me go to YouTube. Let me look at this tutorial. I know they're probably out there. I know they're out there and I know they will be helpful, but I'm really leaning into trusting that there are some really good things in me that I just have to trust myself to develop this skill instead of um, either relying on someone to teach me or duplicating someone else's skill. And I can see the progress not just in how it looks, but in how my body responds to the process of painting. I don't feel as tense when I sit down to paint anymore. I don't feel as angsty. Um, I am not focused as much on, am I doing it right? Or is it good? Or is this what it's supposed to look like? And I'm really just letting things flow. Um, It's leaning into the process. A few other things that I have done that really help is um, I light a candle and I invite um, ancestral wisdom and and deep knowing from within me to come out. I also play music. I have been playing um, a Spotify playlist that I believe is called um, African Healing Dance Therapy. I think it's what it's called. And it has been very helpful. So these are just some things that have I've put into the process. Um, I recently got a, a belated birthday gift with some new painting material. So I'm trying out different kinds of paint. Um, and some I got some few new brushes. So that is going very well. Um, I don't think I shared this, but so I might have shared that I was taking part in the somatic abolitionism a nine-month cohort um, last year um, that was led by Res Minicum and a wonderful team of trainers, um, Aaron Trent Johnson and Corrine. Corrine, I'm sorry, I don't remember your last name right now. Um, And it was was amazing. Um, And Carlin, Carlin as well. And so it was really good for me. Um, when When I first started that training, There was strong, strong, strong emphasis on you're not here to learn this, to teach someone else. You're here to experience it. And I feel like I I had planned to do that anyway, but that kind of explicit instruction really allowed me to sink into really experiencing 
somatics, deepening my understanding of what somatics were, but genuinely experiencing them. And um, various things took place um, in my body, in my sense of knowing. It was during that first um, meeting training that I had back in March of last year, where I realized I was truly lacking a black village. Like I realized that I've been navigating white spaces since undergrad. And like, I really, I had black people in my life, but like this collective sense of community that I could truly turn to with people who looked like me, shared common experiences with me and that I could, my nervous system could feel at ease and rest with. I didn't have that. And just recognizing that, speaking that out loud, and I won't even say like I consciously was intentional about building that community. In some ways that I was, but in other ways, it was just that recognition that helped me either recognize there were areas where I did have it and building that. And so that emerged, um, this door opening, I won't even say completely opening, but just a crack in the door that led to increased curiosity around my own ancestral um, history and knowing and all that stuff. And so that was fantastic. Now, towards the end of that training, um, they told us about an opportunity for a coaching program called Coaching for Healing, Justice, and uh, Liberation. And it's not that I wasn't listening. I was listening, (laughs) but I really, I didn't really hear as much about what the coaching program was about as much as I felt my body kind of pull me and go like, this is the next thing. This is the next thing. And I just remember really connecting with recognizing that my body was saying, yeah, yeah, you should apply to that. So I like looked into it and, um, was like, okay, like this, I, I feel this strong pull towards it. So I did apply. That was like November. There were some interviews in January. Um, and one of the first things I said to the person who interviewed me was like, yes, I don't actually know what this is. Um, I just felt compelled that this was the next thing. And we both were able to agree like, that's, hey, that's dope, right? Listening to that, listening to your body, listening to that inner wisdom. Um, and so I received notification that I was accepted into the coaching program, which is really exciting because one of the things I was able to say also during the interview. Interestingly, the first thing that the interviewer said to me was, you're intense in a good way. (laughs) I was like, okay, like we haven't even interacted yet. He's like, it was all in your application. And he went on to like reflect back to me what he got from my um, application. He's saying, you're very clear. And as he was able to like really tell me what I wanted and what I was looking for, I realized he wasn't clairvoyant. He wasn't reading my mind. No, I was actually that clear. And that was, that was a nice gift. Like, Hey, I finally got into a place where I can articulate what my needs are. And some of those needs are, I want to be in community with black bodies, bodies for culture, BIPOC folk. I want to be in spaces where I can willingly and voluntarily share of myself, but not be extracted from, you know, I want to sit communally and do community things together, but I also want to be able to learn and give of myself. And, and we were able to discuss that. That was, I want also, I wanted to be in a place where all of me 
not it's just welcome, but it's embraced. No more leaving parts of myself at the door. And to hear that, like, this is what this space is for. It really felt like an invitation to come home. And so I felt pretty good about um, the the possibility that I would be accepted. Um, and I was. And so I'm really excited about that. It, it doesn't start until May. So that gives me a little time, but I'm really, and it's going to be intense, um, intense in regards to the amount of time and personal resource, financially, time. Um, I'm going to have to read books, y'all. Y'all know I'm not a reader, right? <laughs> I want to. It's so much. Things are so deep. But anyway, I'm going to get through that. I mean, I got through grad school and undergrad, so I'll make it. But um, I'm really excited about it. So I wanted to share that. And I was talking to Jay last night, and I was telling him that right now my life feels pretty similar to how life felt in undergrad. And what I mean by that is when I went to uh, college, I was the first generation college attendee. And so I didn't have anyone to show me the ropes or give me advice. Um, I had supportive family, but they were supportive in the sense that they were proud of me, not that they could help me navigate anything. And one thing that I was pretty, um, pretty set on was that I was not going to declare a major just because. I was like, how am I going to, how can I tell you what I want to major in? I have no idea. I've never experienced any of this. So whereas some people felt pressure to declare what they wanted to study and things when they first went in. And of course, a lot of people changed their major because in my opinion, it's a premature decision. I didn't feel that pressure. And so I spent the first couple of years taking what you would call core classes and trying to discover what I wanted to study. And then I got to a point where I was being asked slash forced to declare. And I realized there was no major that really felt like me. So I liked psychology, but I did not want to take all of the psychology classes that the psychology major would have required. Um, And so I looked around, nothing seemed to fit. So there was the process by which you could create your own major, but that was way too much work. And so my, my final option was a, a bachelor's degree in general studies. And as I read on it, I'm like, oh, this is me. Because it it allowed me to take such an array. There were definitely stipulations regarding how many credits I needed in blah, 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 blah areas. But it allowed me to take what was seemingly this mix and hodgepodge of unrelated random classes. But... <laughs> It was so perfect for me. So when it was time to register for classes at, from from that point forward, so like junior and senior year, what that would look like is I would go to the fishbowl. Um, so I went to University of Michigan. The fishbowl was just like this big place with all the computers, right? And you got to understand that this was like early, early, early 2000s. So yes, there was technology, but to put it in context, there was no Facebook. Um, there was no social media. There was Black Planet and there was MySpace. You could like download music and make CDs off of Napster. (laughs) If you're listening to this and these things sound fully foreign, that just tells you we're from a different generation. But, um, you know, the oldest students or who had the most credits, seniors and such, were given the opportunity to register first and then it trickled down. And I would literally sit in front of a computer and I would say, okay, God, what am I taking this semester? 
And this is how it went. How I would go from there is it wasn't really this mystifying process. I would scroll through available classes and whatever interests me, I would sign up for that class. How did I know that was the class I was supposed to take? Well, if I got in, I was supposed to take it. If it was full or waitlisted or I wasn't able to take it because I didn't have a prerequisite, well, that let me know that wasn't the class I needed to take. And so I really leaned on what interests me. And it was able to fit this degree requirement. It was beautiful. And I would then like have my list of classes and it did. It would seem so random. I might be taking like one, I took Mesopotamian myths and literature. I took like all these different things, right? But inevitably, every single semester, there would come a point in the semester where there would be overlapping themes and things which is like fit together from all these different classes. And I just remember thinking like, I don't even think that people at the college could organize this this well. Like it was just such an amazing experience. So now here I am 20 some years later and I'm having a similar experience because when I did the somatic abolitionism training, I didn't look for that. As a matter of fact, I hadn't even heard about it. Three different people sent me that training. Like, hey, have you heard of this? Hey, you should do this with me. Hey, da 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 da. Mind you, the people who were like, you should do this with me didn't end up doing it, which is fine. Sometimes that's what leads us through a door. But I was like, oh, okay, what is it? And again, I didn't know that much about it. I had read, read portions of my grandmother's hands, but really loved the book and, and Resma Medicum and what I had heard of him because he spoke a language that was intuitive to my knowing. And so I realized that this was him. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'll apply. How do I know I should do it? If I get accepted, I'm supposed to do it. If I don't, okay. And so I got accepted um, into this, you know, cohort. And so then same thing with the coaching program. And now what's happening is I've been sent stuff that is so like, right where I am, right what I need right now, but I'm not looking for any of this. So another example is I was, um, there's a a group for therapists on Facebook that I'm in and someone posted about um, a training series that Amber McZeal is doing. Never heard of her, but the name of the training is called um, Decolonizing Somatic Approaches. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, that sounds right where I am right now. And so, you know, I signed up for this thing because someone posted. I'm like, oh, this looks really good. And um, this was sometime in like probably mid-January. And the next thing wasn't until, well, today, the day that I'm recording this, the beginning of February. But I went ahead and signed up. And then if you signed up for the second one, you got sent the video from the first one. And I watched that video last night and who we like it. I still have a hard time articulating it. It's not even as much that the information, like the content of what was there wasn't a lot of new content, but I'm just in a place now where I was able to sit somatically, allow my body to have its genuine freedom of response to what I was listening to and absorbing. And it shook some stuff loose. Like the best, I don't even know. I know. I don't, I was gonna say the best way to describe it. I don't know the best way to describe it. What I will tell you is that from that point of watching that video, I went to write for the first time in a while. And the title of 
the poem, it ended up being a poem. The title of the poem that I wrote is I'm not your expert. So I'm going to come back and talk about that in a minute. But I wrote that. I'm not your expert. I wrote this poem. And then like, um, that wasn't enough. There was still so much in me. So then I went down in my art area and I painted. And at the end of her slideshow, um, Amber McZeal, who is amazing, by the way, um, there was like a picture of flames that looked like they were like in the shape of a heart. And that was inspiring to me. And I was like, oh, I want to I want to go paint. And it's not that I was like, I want to paint that. But I felt like, oh, I like this. Let me paint. I want fiery heart. And what I, as, as I tried, it wasn't working. The fire was working, but the heart wasn't. It was too contained. So instead of being like, what does fire look like? I just started allowing fire to come out of me. And I painted this beautiful, beautiful um, painting of fire. Um, a cousin has already laid claim to it. I told her she can have it, <laughs> but it is, it's beautiful. But then that still wasn't enough. Right. So then I like came upstairs and talked my husband's ear off while we were laying in bed because I just felt so energized around this, this emergence, this fire, um, within me. Um, there's a, a line in the song, all of me from Encanto, that says, but the stars don't shine, they burn. I I honed in on that line the very first time I watched the movie. It was very beautiful to me. I was like, oh my God, you're right. Like stars don't shine, they burn. And, and then <clears throat> those who are familiar with the Judeo-Christian uh, Bible in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 20, verse nine, it talks about feeling like it's like the fire shut up in my bones. And like that combination is what I felt. So I actually named that painting Jeremiah's Encanto. Um, But there is so much inside of me. So coming back to, well, before I go back to that part, and then I want to say, so my God sister, who we've been prioritizing our relationship, we talk every day, every day with Marco Polo. It's amazing. She tagged me on um, Facebook one day and was like, Hey, you should do this with me. We should do this together. And it was a Soka, Soka dance class. And I'm just like, yes, okay, let's do it. And so Sunday was that dance class. It's virtual. There are people all over the country. I mean, her and I are in different states, people from California, New Orleans and all this stuff. And we're doing this dance and it's not just moving my body, like as an exercise, but it is connecting with this like Afro Latin music, moving my hips and all these ways of being that were so natural and ancestral that it's like it connected me to my body, it connected me to the sense of community. Again, I didn't go looking for that. Someone sent it to me. And then I haven't begun this yet, but someone sent me this opportunity that's called Haven for the Healers, which is a Black community space for Black therapists to just come and be together, right? All of these things, again, I'm not seeking them out. They're finding me in such a beautiful way. And so I do, hold on. I've been holding that in this whole time. That's a shame. I should have just said it's (laughs) 30 minutes. So when we talk about needless, wantless, I'm getting better, but sometimes I still... I still got some work to do. So anyway, you know, just the simple thing is like clearing your throat. I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want it to sound funny. Girl, look, bye. So, so let's go back to, I don't want to be your expert or I'm not your expert. I think one of the biggest things that burst free 
for me as I was watching part one of the Decolonizing Somatic Approaches video was this understanding that like what uh, what our culture breeds or the really the colonized white supremacist culture that we are all indoctrinated under gives us this notion of like experts and people who know and people who don't and the people who know have power and authority and the people who don't well they don't and so i like so many other people have been culturalized around the proximity to humanness which is the proximity to whiteness it's education, it's speaking a certain way and all of this stuff. And it started to get shaken loose inside of me because also embedded in that culture is the suppression and the erasure of entire groups of people, entire bodies of knowing and knowledge and wisdom. And so there was just something about sitting and again, sitting in this space that I was like, wait a minute, I actually don't want to be your expert. I, I, I reject this notion to put a hierarchy on my experience and my knowledge and my wisdom. And instead, I want to sit in community, not just with other people who are knowledge bearers, but what about nature? There is so much knowledge, so much wisdom, so much truth in nature. And that has never been like um, officially a part of anything that I've done. Like you go to school, school didn't teach me how to value the like sanctity and aliveness of nature and learn from its rhythms. And no, nope. Church didn't teach me that. No one taught me that. And so there's just this, um, this place that I've come to where it's like, it, I don't know, the structures of academia want to say, here's how you know. You know because you go to school. You know because you get this degree. You know because of these things. And now I'm realizing, like, y'all are full of shit. Like, that's not how you know. And it, well, it's definitely not the only way you know. And so there was just this resistance that built up in me that was like, you know what? No, I want, I want my knowing to be more complete. Um, and 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 there's so much knowing, like deep within me. And so that is what emerged from me. So I'm actually going to read for you the poem that I read, I mean, that I wrote last night. And, you know, I feel like, hey, I'll share that with you. Um, and so it is titled, I'm Not Your Expert. I became a know-it-all because you told me to know it all. And in becoming what you told me to be, I, moment by moment, cut off the parts of me that always longed to know more. There is no searching for deeper truth when the truth bearers declare they have given you all the truth. Yet deep, deep inside me, there has always been a pull toward the deeper knowing. This can't be all of it. And it's not. I search now not with a colonizer's mentality, to find what already is and lay claim and possess, but to honor the wisdom of old, laying aside the ridiculous designation of greater than others, ancestors, 
earth. Your designation of expert, a once sought after and admired call, you can have it. I now sit at the feet, yes, F-E-A-T, of the elders, learning what was never taught. Burning within me is the desire to be one with the most ancient of wisdoms, even when it comes through modern vessels. The stars don't shine, they burn. Thank you, Lynn. And Encanto. Here is my burn. So that was the piece that I wrote. That was beautiful. <laughs> you know, we can like, things can come out of us, but sometimes we don't take a moment to actually sit with our own creation and go like, wow, that was deep. That was, that was beautiful. And so that, that is what's quaking and shaking in me. Um, this notion of, um, you know, realizing that I don't have to take on all of the values and ideologies that have been given to me. Now, that doesn't have to mean an outright rejection of them immediately, but it does beckon an exploration. Um, and so the second part of that training was today, and what began to get stirred up in me was exactly that. It was this idea that I began to wrestle with of, and I might have spoken about this before on the podcast, and I've talked about it to some people, but there is this sense that I feel in general that trauma stole my aunts, trauma stole my, my elders and my ancestors and how I was conceptually like conceptualizing that for a while was this idea that like, I didn't have this experience where, you know, I sat with my grandmother and learned how to cook. My mother taught me how to do this. You know, I, I spent eight eight or nine years with my great, great grandmother. Okay. Not many people can say that. And she was like, as I say, in her right mind, like she died from cancer when she was 94, I think. And I was about eight or nine, but I spent a lot of time with her. And I just think like, there's a sadness that I have that like, there was so much, I was, I had such close physical proximity to this person that I really didn't have the opportunity to learn from. And so I had been conceptualizing that around the fact that, you know, the various traumas that my foremothers had experienced kind of made it difficult for that in some way. Um, they, they were in some ways emotionally cut off and blah, 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 right? And it's not that that's untrue, but now I'm sitting in this new... Mm, curiosity that is arising from me is there, there, I believe was a lot of self-hatred, um, internalized worthlessness and racism and sexism and all of those things that even when there was an imparting that my elders could have given me, I really am coming as I sit with somatics to understand that there was this very deep somatic resistance, if not rejection, to take what they were given me. And I'm now just sitting with the curiosity of that. Like, 
There was something deep in me that didn't want what they were giving. And there is a grief in that. Like, I have to be honest that there is such a part of me that grieves not have have having had those kinds of relationships. But now there's also this like gratitude that's rising in me, though I didn't have words for it. And though I felt pretty isolated and alone in this, I think it was preserving me from not taking on so much of what had been um, uh, pressed into and onto them. Now that obviously did not cause me to escape my own interpersonal, intergenerational, and historical trauma. But I'm I'm sitting with that. I'm exploring that. So what I have learned is just share. Shonda shares because I can guarantee you someone heard that. And if they were present with their body, it quickened. Like, oh, hey, that might be something. Because that's how it was when I was sitting there. It was really Amber sharing a piece of her story that my body was like, hey, hey, hey. Listen to that. Hey, hey, hey. And it caused me to go like, okay, there's some resonance here. And it is why I share, right? So much of this, well, I can be honest, like in part, this is helpful for me too. I'm an external processor and it feels really nice to have your own platform where you can just talk about whatever the hell you want to talk about. That's what I'm doing. Um, But I also know that part of our... mm, cultural paradigm is this illusion of I'm the only one going through this, suffer in silence, don't tell anyone. And I want to break that lie. We are experiencing various interpretations of the human experience. And when I can share openly and transparently, um, my hope is that someone else is like, Oh, I wonder if that's true for me. Don't take it and be like, oh, that must be it. Mm -mm, Because remember, I'm not your expert. I don't want to be your expert. I'm not here to be an expert. But if it gets you curious, sometimes the questions are one of the biggest things, right? It's one of the biggest things is the question leads to the reflection and the inquiry. So I'm sharing. (laughs) And that's about it, y'all. There are a few more things I want to say. There's actually something I want to ask of you all. Um, But in regards to, you know, just the content that I wanted to put out, I wanted to celebrate two years, 90 episodes, and 30,000 plays. Woo! If we had the little clap machine, I'd do that, but we don't. Maybe one day. (laughs) Um, But I also wanted to ask you all for a few things. I want to hear from you. Listen, whether you are just tuning in and you're new to the podcast and you've only heard a couple of episodes or whether you are like my girl, Dorothy Robin, who has been with me from the beginning and has heard every episode or anywhere in between, what was your favorite episode? Who was your favorite guest? What's your favorite topic? I want y'all to talk to me. I know the numbers tell me you're out there. And I just kind of want to, I want to engage with you. What does it, what could it look like to make this community, the Labors of Love podcast community, feel a little more connected? Um, I'm open. I'm open to different things because this isn't about me being the expert. This is not about me having an elevated um, um, 
platform. It's about us sitting around a circle and sharing our lived experiences and feeling a collective heartbeat, a collective inhale and exhale. And it's hard to do that, right? Digitally, virtually, but how can we make it happen? So I want to hear feedback. What, not just what more topics do you want to hear and what guest? I'll take that too. But I also want to hear is what's been resonating with you? What's your favorite part of the Labors of Love podcast? What makes you keep coming back and listening? You know, if we were able to create a community where we could be a little more interactive and interconnected, what, what, what might that look like for you? What do you want that to look like? So that is my ask. If you get to this portion of this podcast, I know you're busy. I know you got things to do. But listen, there are so many ways for you to get in touch with me. Drop me an email, LaShonda at thelaborsoflove.com. Actually, if you could, media at thelaborsoflove.com, but whichever. Go to my website. Just put it in a, um, a contact form so you don't have to worry about any of that. Hit me up on any of the social medias. Like I genuinely, I'm not just saying this to... Um, get engagement on a post. This isn't about just likes. This is about me genuinely wanting to hear from my beloved community. So that's that's the ask that I have for y'all. Um, I did my very first TikTok live today. <laughs> it was fun. It was actually my first live ever. Um, like I think I've gone live. Have I, I went live when I first got my office in 2018 just to be like, this is my office, but I had never done a live and it was, it was, I enjoyed it. You know, there were a few people who came, several people, um, and they asked a few questions and it was really just set up as, you know, Q and A, what do you want to know? Um, and people asked questions and we were able to engage in that way. And so I'm out here, y'all, I'm out here doing my best to use the gifts that I have been so freely given and have made many sacrifices for um, and share them with y'all. So I love y'all. I do so much. And if you hear that and you think that it's just a generic thing that a generic person is saying, then I need you to listen to some more episodes. Hear my heart. I have learned that if I didn't mean it, I just wouldn't say it. And if it feels ridiculous that I can say, I love you, and you're listening to this and you're thinking, but she doesn't even know me, it doesn't matter. I promise you, you, yes, you, I do. I genuinely love you. And I thank you so much for being a part of my community. So I want to thank Trey Angel. He provides all the music for the Labors of Love podcast. To my producer, the best producer in the land, in my opinion, Jason from Instant Classic Media. And of course, to you, my listeners. I love y'all. If you want to get in touch with me, head over to my website, uh, www.thelaborsoflove.com. If you want the newsletter every month, scroll down to the bottom of the welcome page and put your information in. You'll get that newsletter. I got some courses coming up and some workshops. We're on all the major social media outlets, including TikTok, y'all. Uh, head over to our YouTube channel and subscribe Therapy Thursday videos go there. And if you haven't already, can you just take a moment, rate the podcast, write us a review. Give us that five-star rating, I should say. Write the review, share it with your friends. I love y'all. Until we connect again, you all be well.